So Christmas, when you think about it, is a rather polarizing season. Here's what I mean. There's people who really, really love Christmas, okay? They, they love the lights, they love the music, the presents, the Savior's birth, all of it, right? And Jesus' arrival, or Advent, as we've talked about, Advent just means arrival. His, his first arrival is worth all of that excitement and hoopla for sure. I mean, Jesus' name, Emmanuel, means God with us. He came to be with us, to become human, to save us from sin and death. And so it's worth getting excited about. So if that's you, if you love Christmas, you'll really appreciate this message today. But there's also people who don't really appreciate Christmas that much. Maybe you don't like the commercialization. Maybe it seems disproportionately celebrated compared to Easter to you. Or maybe it just brings you terrible memories. Or maybe it it painfully reminds you of the joy that you've had in past Christmases with people and circumstances that are long past. But for whatever reason, you're not really that into Christmas. Here's your hope, if that's you. Jesus' first arrival was great, but his second arrival will be even better. So if you're not that into Christmas, you'll appreciate this message as well. Here's why. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to have all the scripture on the screen for you, so you're welcome to open it up, but it'll be right there for you, so don't worry. But we're going to open up in Luke, and we're going to see how incredible and joyful Jesus' first arrival was to them. But then we're going to look at how much more incredible and joyful Jesus' second arrival will be for us. So, Luke 1, 67. And this one I don't have on the screen, but the rest of it I will. It says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So let me just explain what's going on. This kind of picks up in the middle of his story. So last week, if you missed it, Chris Hansen did a beautiful job sharing the account of the events leading to the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was just a messenger preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus. Now, Zechariah here, who's the one about to speak, okay, giving this prophecy, is John the Baptist's dad. And he literally just got unmuted after God muted him for nine months because he didn't believe that God could give his wife a child because she was older. So he's like, nah, you can't do that, God. And he's like, yep, I can. He does it, mutes him for a while. Then John the Baptist is born and he can speak and hear Zechariah finally is speaking, and far from the words of doubt he spoke right before he was muted, he now is literally bringing words from God, prophecy. It says he prophesied. So the rest of this section we're going to see today, we're going to get a window into God's playbook on the coming Messiah. So for them and for us, this is incredible news we're about to read about. So stay in Luke 1. We're going to be jumping all around, but stay in Luke 1. Let's look first at Jesus' first arrival in Luke 1, 68. It says, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Zechariah starts by blessing or praising God. The tone of this that he's setting is joyful and exciting. He's saying, get pumped. But then he, then he says why they should get pumped and excited And praise God. They should do it, one, because he has visited. God has visited his people. After 400 years of silence from God, 
He goes from not just speaking, but now God is speaking and physically here. Now, you might be thinking as you're reading this, going, well, it hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't even been born when he gives this prophecy. So John the Baptist isn't who he's talking about. He's the one who just introduces the Messiah. So what's happening here? Zechariah is speaking presently about what's about to happen. And he does this the rest of the time. God is visiting in the flesh. And they are going to see him. Not like the priests and the prophets in the Old Testament. They heard from God on occasion. But they are going to see him face to face in the flesh. All will hear. All will see. He is with them. He has visited. So get excited because he's here. God is here. But then get excited because he's provided redemption for his people. Redemption means deliverance at cost. Deliverance at cost. This is such great news to them because they were under the rule of Rome at the time. And Rome was cruel. They didn't really give a rip about anyone and did whatever they wanted. And they were especially cruel towards Christians, as you see, as you continue reading in the Bible. It's also great news because they were under some Jewish corruption. So even the, the people who were in place to lead them to God were corrupt. And Jesus points it out and makes no bones about it in, in the rest of Luke. But also there's a spiritual redemption that's going to happen, a spiritual deliverance. It's great news because sin and the devil are very much still strong on earth. So here they are, and they're like, Zechariah's like, we are finally being delivered from all of this. But remember, redemption is deliverance at cost. So at what cost? What's the cost? Well, we know, we know that the cost is going to be literally himself, his life given on the cross. But it's doubtful that that's what they would have expected when they heard this prophecy. Regardless, though, Zechariah is saying, Hey, let's get excited for what God is doing. Let's get excited because God is with us and he's going to redeem us. But this is just the beginning for us. Let's look forward to Jesus' second arrival. Let's fast forward to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, 27 says, Then they will see the Son of Man, another name for Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. Jesus' second advent or arrival should produce and will produce shock and awe. Far from the manger and the baby, meek and mild, it says here he's going to come in a cloud with power and great glory. You know, Jesus is saying this in Luke 21 in human words because there were actually no human words to describe this. It says in a cloud with power and great glory. And we, could, we just kind of glaze past it. But this is indescribable. So think for a second of the most powerful yet beautiful sight you've ever seen in your life. Here's the most powerful yet beautiful sight I've ever seen. This is the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. So what's so incredible about this is that this sits on top of a volcano. 
Okay? So this is not just the power of this waterfall, which is incredible. I've also been in Niagara Falls. I almost picked that because that was also like, whoa, this could kill me, yet it's beautiful. But I had the waterfall. I had the beautiful scenery. I was in awe, but yet I was like, man, I mean, if you, you just have to go over here or over there and you see crazy stuff coming up from the ground and you're like, man, this thing could explode any second. So you're on top of a volcano, but yet it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure you have other sites. Maybe it's an ocean or a mountain or something that was just beautiful yet powerful. But scenes like this are just getting us close. It's not a mountain or an ocean here. This is a person, Jesus, coming on the scene. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be powerful and it's going to be beautiful at the same time. We're going to wonder, should I stare in wonder or should I bow in fear? But this text actually answers how we should respond. It says neither. It says stand up and lift your heads. Get excited. The hopes and fears of all the years are going to be met in him when he comes. Redemption will be completed. Redemption, remember, deliverance at cost. The cost was already paid by Jesus on the cross. And so our deliverance is sure. We will have deliverance at his second coming already. We have a sure hope of deliverance. We have a sure hope from deliverance from sin, evil, and the devil. We have a sure hope of deliverance from God's just wrath for that sin. And we have a sure hope of deliverance from this broken, messed up world. But then, it won't be hope. It will be reality. In the most incredible way possible, hope will die. And that sounds like a bad thing, but that's an incredible thing. Because when you're hoping for something, you're waiting for something. But we will no longer be waiting for anything. Because all of our dreams, all of the promises of God will be fulfilled in Christ coming back. So it's going to be beautiful. The death of hope in a beautiful way. No more waiting. Redemption will be here. And it will be here to stay. That's Jesus' second arrival. Now let's look back at his first arrival. Luke 1, 69 and 70. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. This is so great to them because in verse 69, they're in the lineage of David. Okay, This Messiah is going to be in the lineage of David. David was the best king of Israel. Okay, He was the the poster boy of power and of grace and of godliness as a king. Now, he's still definitely at his moments. But Jesus was going to come in the line of David. In verse 70, it just reiterates that. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. The Messiah will come from David. They knew the Old Testament prophecies said this. Isaiah is one of them. So let's look at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. And its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Probably all they would have heard at this time, 
because they were under this, this oppressive Roman rule was, hey, the government's going to be on his shoulders. Sweet. But they should have keyed in on the first part. A child will be born for us. A child. He came as a baby. See, they wanted political and military victory. They wanted what Jesus was going to bring in the second arrival in the first. But God, which is so true of God, so often gave them not what they wanted, but what they needed. Mercy, a baby, meek and mild, before giving them what they wanted eventually, which he will, which is judgment, a warrior coming back. Isn't that true of God? He gives us what we need, not necessarily what we always want, right? But here we are, Jesus' second arrival. What's cool about Isaiah 9, this scripture actually has both advents in it, if you look at it. So it has the first, and you can see it right away, but then it has the second. I picked Isaiah 9 for this very reason. So the second advent will be greater because here we see a rule and a reign that's going to be decisive. In his first return, he began his rule and reign, yet the devil, sin, and the world still very much has a hold on things around here, doesn't it? We feel the ache of that every day. But his second return will be a decisive, complete rule. Think of it. Verse 6, the government will be on his shoulders. Think about this. All of the foolish government leaders that we have in our country and in this world right now, gone. We'll have the, yeah, amen. We'll have, we will have a perfect leader, a perfect government, Jesus himself. The government will be on his shoulders. And then it says, everlasting father, eternal father here. It will be him. Maybe for you, you certainly had an imperfect father growing up. I haven't met anyone with a perfect dad. Maybe you had an absent father. Whatever you had for a dad, you're going to have a perfect father then. That you can come to whenever you want, whenever you need. Who will always understand, will protect you, be right by your side. The second advent will be even greater because we will have peace. The mark of his rule is going to be peace. Not the chaos that marks the rule of today's leaders, right? But peace. The prince of peace. He will rule and reign decisively, but he will also rule and reign eternally. Look at in this Isaiah 9 passage. Eternal father. Prosperity will never end. From now on and forevermore. Think of it like this. Politically, if you're, if you're into politics that much, you have in your mind the just right circumstance. If this person would be president, that person governor, and this certain party or this certain group of people were in the Senate and the House and the Supreme Court and all of this, then life would be great. Right? We have that ideal in our heads. Or... If you're not that into politics, at work, you have in your head, man, if, if my boss was just a little more like this and a little less like that, and if my coworkers, if maybe that one was gone and that one, you know, I had more people like that around me, 
then it would be a perfect work environment. But the problem with both of those circumstances is give it two years or four years and it changes, even if you get it exactly how you want it, right? Same with coworkers. Someone could quit. Someone gets a new job elsewhere. Maybe you get fired. See, it's never quite settled for us here. But here's why we should get excited about Jesus' second arrival. His rule and his reign will never end. It will be just right always when he comes. Jesus' second arrival is going to be amazing. Let's look back at his first arrival, Luke 1, 71. We'll have salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Here in his first arrival, it's going to be great because they're going to be saved from their enemies, or it says those who hate them. And this literally is referring to any and all who oppose God's people. This is both spiritually as well as um, politically. So Rome or, or just people in power, the Jews or just other people relationally, but spiritually the devil and sin. The key though for them, and they didn't quite get this at the time, but the key though was the timing. It was right for them to be excited about being delivered from their enemies. Jesus' salvation though, would be for all their enemies, but he was just going to start that work. And he was going to do it spiritually. But the rest of those enemies, it took a while. So let me, let me give you an example of this. Let's see. Um, Eric Smith, why don't you come up? It's okay. You don't have to do anything. You just have to stand here and look pretty. Okay? And uh, Travis, why don't you come on up too? So why don't you stand right here just so everyone watching can see too. Yeah, say hi to the interwebs. Um, so let's say I, I actually picked these two because I think this could actually happen this way. So let's say that Eric is just beating the snot out of me, okay? He's just, I don't know why, maybe I said something about his mom. I don't know. He's just, he's just beating me up. I think he actually could. So he's, he's beating me up and Travis comes up and don't actually do this, but Travis comes up and just shoves Eric to the ground, and Eric's laying on the, there on the ground, and Travis goes, I'll take care of you, I'll take care of you later, and he walks away. Eric would be sleeping with one eye open, peeing his pants all night. It'd be terrible, right? But I know that Travis would follow through, not only because I trust him and he's my friend, because he's powerful. I mean, yeah, I'm, <laughs> no, he, he's, he's a powerful guy. Obviously, with this pink hat on. So, all right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for being good sports. Yes, 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 good. Here's where I'm going with this. Jesus is going to finish what he started. So in this first advent, it's like Jesus came with all evil and shoved it to the ground and said, I'll be back for you. Walked away. And so the devil, sin, death, all of it is on borrowed time, and they know it. And when Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to whoop up on them. So let's hear about it. Let's look at it. Revelation 19, 11 through 16, then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. 
He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will finish what he started. He'll bring justice to all evil, to all of the enemies of us, God's people. And this is really vivid language. We don't like to think of Jesus this way. Verse 15, he will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God. Why so vivid? Here's why. God hates evil and he hates hates sin. And this is great news to us because don't we also hate evil and wrong that is done to us? If you're being mistreated unjustly, or if you've ever been mistreated unjustly, which we all have, rest assured, Jesus will have your back. Breathe a sigh of relief when you hear, when when you read this passage, because Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon, and he will save you from your enemies once and for all. Let's look back at Luke 1, his first arrival. Verse 72 He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. Zechariah here points out how great this first arrival is now by pointing to God's mercy. Verse 72, he is merciful to the rebellious particularly the doubting, rebellious Israelites. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. When we went through numbers this summer, we saw that over and over and over again, how rebellious they were against God, yet God kept showing them mercy. He's merciful, though, we learned in verse 73, because of his promise. He promised Abraham blessing and blessing to his offspring. And we saw that in Genesis 12 and 22. God's faithful to his promises, though. So even in the face of unfaithfulness, verse 74 and 75 here, we see he's going to bring rescue, freedom, himself. He's going to be in their presence all their days. How merciful is God with this first advent? God's people turned their back on him. They forgot all about him. They even gave up hope on a Messiah, some of them. Yet God never turned their back on them. He never forgot about them, even for a second. He always had a perfect plan in mind for them. He mercifully remembered them. He mercifully fulfilled his promise. And he mercifully had mercy on the faithless and undeserving. Zechariah went from doubting God to humbly being in awe of God's mercy, how much more should we then, as we think about Jesus' second arrival, be in awe and be humbled by God's mercy? Let's look at it. Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and, they, and, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. 
because the previous things have passed away. How beautiful is that? God's mercy will be shown in the second coming. And he'll do it by remembering his holy covenant that he swore not only to Abraham, but to John. John wrote Revelation. As sure as Jesus fulfilled Luke 1, he's going to fulfill Revelation 21. God will mercifully not just remove fear like it says over here in verse 74. We'll serve him without fear. He's going to remove, in verse 4, tears, grief, death, pain. A complete overhaul of all the emotional, physical, and spiritual hurt that we experience. So I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about, don't think about it too long, but I want you to think about one of the worst things you've ever experienced in your life. Now I want you to think about something bad that happened to you that's pretty trivial in the last week. Say you stubbed your toe or something like that. Okay, you can open your eyes. Listen to me well. Both the most, ex- the, the, the most excruciating pain that you felt and dealt with in your life and the most trivial thing hardship that you've had in the last day or so, both and everything in between will be gone when Jesus comes back. No more of that. Every little minor irritation will never happen again. Every horrific, terrible thing never happen again. That's what this verse is saying in Revelation. Pastor Tim Keller said, When the relationship with God is put right, every other relationship is put right. In Jesus' second coming, heaven will be incredible, but it will be incredible primarily not because there will be no more hurt, pain, and tears, but listen, it will be incredible primarily because we will be face-to-face with the one who will wipe away those tears. Listen to verse 21. Revelation 21, 3 again. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. When the relationship with God is put right, every other relationship is put right. That's what we have to look forward to. Let's look back at Jesus' first arrival. 176. A new child will be called a prophet of the Most High and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This child is is John the Baptist. Now he's talking about John the Baptist. John's role is spelled out pretty clearly here. He's going to be a prophet of God. He's going to prepare the way of Jesus. He's going to tell people about the salvation that's coming. John's role was integral to the first advent. In the same way, Our role as followers of Jesus is integral to his second arrival. Look at it. 1 Peter 2.9. But you, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of him, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises 
of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John was a prophet, but we are priests and children of God. We are his chosen people for his special purposes. Your value is immeasurable. John was a witness. We also are witnesses. Our job is to proclaim the praises of Jesus. We're to tell people about Jesus. We're to show people Jesus, share Jesus with people. And we're supposed to do this because this is who we are. We're children of the king, so we're going to tell everyone about our dad. Luke writes in his second volume, Acts, this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. It's like these angels show up and go, hello, did you hear what he just said? You're supposed to be his witnesses. Quit standing around looking at the sky and tell people about him. And that's what he's saying today. Our role is clear and integral now as we wait for his return. To share Jesus and to show Jesus to people. Why did we hand a bunch of cinnamon rolls to you as you left last week? Why are we asking you to take those movie invites? They're just cinnamon rolls. It's just a silly movie about Santa Claus. And you're right. You're right on both accounts. But Tim Allen's pretty great, and so is Sugar. But that's kind of besides the point. Why are we doing this? We're trying to tee you up to build relationships with people in your life so that you can show them Jesus and share Jesus with them. That's why we're doing that. We want to we put you in a position to be able to shine the light of Christ in this world. That's what all that's about. Now let's look at the last part. Jesus' first arrival, Luke 1, 78 and 79. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a tender passage. Jesus' first arrival was great. And it was great because it flowed from God's merciful compassion. Or in several translations, it says tender mercy. Tender mercy. Let me just admit something to you. On my best day, I might show mercy to a stranger. Okay? Maybe I wouldn't press charges if someone stole something from me. Okay? Mercy. Not getting what they deserve. And on my best day, I might be compassionate to a stranger. Maybe someone behind me in the checkout line is short, or in front of me is short a couple dollars, and I'm like, here. But to be both merciful and compassionate to a stranger, rarely, if ever. Here's what's so great. God sent Jesus out of both mercy and compassion. But here's the thing. He sent his mercy and his compassion not just to strangers. In fact, we weren't strangers. He created us. 
He sent it to enemies, to rebels, to people who said, whether they realize it or not with their sin, that we don't give a rip about you and I'm living all for myself. That's what Jesus did. Mike Cosper says it like this. There's a forgiveness that says, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you for that thing you did. But then there's a deeper forgiveness that says, I'm not going to hold the fact that you're a sinner against you. I'm adopting you as my child and you're loved unconditionally. See, that is the merciful compassion of God. He doesn't just go, all right, I'll overlook that, whatever. No, he goes, I'll overlook that and I'm going to love you. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to walk with you. And you're my child. Jesus' second arrival. Revelation 22. Listen to this. Then he showed me the river of the water of life. This is in the new heavens, the new earth. Clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are, are for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. We see God's merciful compassion in abundance here. But in verse 5, it's rather striking at the end. They will reign forever and ever. If you're in Christ, when you get to heaven, Jesus will be reigning, but you will also get to reign with him. Think about it. You, me, reigning? Why? It's God's merciful compassion. Here, God's light shone into the darkness. That's what we see at Christmas. His light shone in the darkness. And now when Jesus comes back, he will be the light. There will be no darkness. He will be the light. Jesus' second arrival will be greater. Because his first arrival just gave us a taste. So think of it like this. Jesus' first arrival was great. He gave us his peace. He gave us his joy. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And we just got a taste of the living water of Jesus. But when he comes back, here's what we see in Revelation. We're not just going to get a cup of that. We're going to have an unending fountain, an unending river, a never-ending spigot. This cup will continue to get filled and overflowed of God's amazing love compassion, grace, peace, mercy, everything that we've ever wanted. So I'd like you to stand with me, and I want to end a little differently than normal today. And I want to do a little call and response here. So I need you all to participate, okay? So I'll say the first line, and then you guys say the last one. And this is the second to last verse in the Bible. And I think it's really fitting after this message. Jesus says in Revelation 22, 20, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
That's our heart's desire. That you would come. And you said that you would come soon. And soon is not the same to us as it is to you. But we're excited and we want you to come back. So we we say, amen, Lord, come. This world is so messed up. We need your deliverance. I pray that this Christmas season, we would not just get excited about a baby in a manger, but also get excited about our merciful warrior, Father, who will come and make all things right. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.